Well, good morning. Uh, if you were not here at the beginning of the service, just want to remind you that our senior pastor, Bruce Hess, is away this weekend. Uh, he and his wife, Janet, have been the last two weeks with Family Life in California, speaking to married couples there. And uh, he'll be back with us next Sunday for a special communion service. Um, but in, the, in his absence, the last two weeks, we've been doing a short series on the book of Second Timothy. And uh, we began that last week, and we're going to conclude it today. Uh, last week, we saw some of the more personal nature of the book. And this week, we're going to look at the central theme of the book of Second Timothy. And I believe it has uh, some great application and, and insight for us. And so I'm excited for us to read that together this morning. Uh, but before we do that, uh, let me pray for our time. Father God, we are thankful uh, today. Father, we're thankful for all the reasons we've already expressed, but we're also thankful, Father, that you have not left us as blind guides uh, hunting for a kernel of truth today. But, Father, you have given us your word and you have given us your spirit to illuminate your word, and we are so thankful. Father, I pray that uh, today that you would be our teacher, that your spirit would highlight your word for us, that all of us, me included, would have a better glimpse of who you are and what you want for our lives. And Father, I pray that you would just protect me today from saying anything that you wouldn't want said. But Father, if I do say something today that you wouldn't want said, I pray that it would quickly be forgotten. But Father, any words that I share today that are your words and your truth, I pray that we would remember them, that we would believe them, and that we would seek to apply them by faith in our lives, that we might be shaped more into the image of your Son. Uh, we thank you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I hate heights. I hate heights. I'm deathly afraid of them. Uh, and by that, I don't mean that I'm afraid to drive in a car up a mountain, or afraid to ride a roller coaster, or afraid to fly in an airplane. Uh, if there's some kind of mechanism, some kind of machine around me, I'm cool with that. Uh, I'm just not the kind of guy that you're going to see mountain climbing or hang gliding or uh, bungee jumping. And if you ever hear that I have parachuted, you know that somebody has pushed me out of that plane uh, because I'm, I'm scared of heights. I, I don't like heights. And, and knowing all of that about me, um, you may ask me the same question that I asked myself, which was, why then did I sign up for the ropes course? Uh, if you don't know what a ropes course is, it's, it's a collection of telephone poles that you're supposed to climb and walk on top of. Uh, some people call that world's deadliest job, others call it a vacation, but I was a part of a group in college that that's what we did as a team building exercise, was we went as a group of officers out to OU's ropes course, and we're going to spend the day on top of these high obstacles. Now, when we, when we got there, uh, there was a training, there was an orientation that took place. And so as we gathered around, the instructor was, was telling us some various things uh, that we were to remember. Uh, if, in order to go up on top of these telephone bowl, poles and to remain safe, we had to wear a harness. And that harness also had to have various uh, things called carabiners attached to it. Uh, if you don't know what a carabiner is, it's a, it's a fancy hook. Uh, and there, there, were, there were two of these carabiners that we were all supposed to wear. 
And they asked us a couple of times, you know, do you have both of your carabiners? And we were to hold them up. And we were to have both of these carabiners on when we, when we climbed up onto these high elements. Because there would be points in our journey where we would have to transfer from one rope of support to another. And having two carabiners allowed you to do that safely. So I began my ascent, and I, I went up a set of angled telephone poles until I was, you know, 30, 35 feet up in the air. I get up to a little platform, and I need to, to navigate and change from the rope that was supporting me up the angles to the rope that was going to support me across the beam. And I look down, and I have one carabiner. So I'm faced with some options at this point. Um, and I decide that I don't want to sacrifice my pride that I was too dumb to not bring two. So I decide to try to navigate the switch from one rope to the other on my own. Uh, and so I, I took it off. Now what I found was that that rope actually had some tension on it that was helping to keep me vertical. So when I unhook it, I kind of, you know, jolt and I grab on at this point fearlessly to the pole, or fearfully, I should say, to the pole. And, and, and I look down at this point, I realize that my pride is not worth my life. And so I, I call out down below and I ask for them to throw me up the second carabiner. And so they, and they do. But the problem is it's hard to catch a carabiner when you're hanging on with dear life with both hands to a pole. So maybe 20 throws later, I finally get it. I finally clip in and I'm able to complete uh, the exercise. Uh, you know, there, there's some equipment, there's some gear that you just have to have when you go to a ropes course in order to successfully navigate all the obstacles that are out there for you. Uh, and the reason why I say that is that I think that when it comes to the Christian life, uh, God would want us to know that there is certain equipment that we need in order to successfully navigate the obstacles that we're going to face in the Christian life. There's certain equipment, there's certain gear that we need to have with us as we go forward on the journey of the Christian life. And the book of 2 Timothy describes one of those pieces of gear that is not optional in the Christian life. One of those pieces of gear that is essential for the believer to have with them if they're to navigate successfully the path that God has marked out for them. And Paul writes this letter, we saw last week as we read the entire letter, uh, from a dungeon cell in Rome to his son in the faith, Timothy. Uh, and, and he talked about a bunch of personal things in the Christian life, and we looked at those last week. But this week, we're going to look at kind of the central theme. And, and there was something that Paul writes and he reminds Timothy of over and over and over again throughout the book that is an essential piece of equipment that Timothy is to, to employ within the Christian life. As a matter of fact, Paul says it throughout the book. He tells him to do various things with this special piece of equipment. He tells him to guard it. He tells him to share it. He tells him to unchain it. He tells him to study it. He tells him to remember it. He tells him to proclaim it. He tells him to bring it with him. Over and over and over again, throughout the book of 2 Timothy, Paul wants Timothy to know that there is an essential piece of gear for the Christian life, a central piece of equipment that Timothy is to value and to employ and to bring with him. Uh, what is it? The answer is the Scripture, the Word of God. 
Uh, Look at what it says. He's to to guard the deposit, this deposit of truth that was passed on to him. Uh, He is to share what he has heard with faithful men who will share it with others also. Uh, God's word is not to be chained. He's to unchain it. Uh, He's to study the word of God, to become a workman approved. He's to remember the things that were taught to him when he was young. He's to proclaim it in season and out of season, and he's to pack it up and bring it with him so that Paul might have use of it while he is in the dungeon in Rome. See, there's an essential piece of equipment in the Christian life that Paul doesn't want Timothy to forget. And you know what? Like Timothy, we gather today as believers in Jesus Christ that need to know that there's a piece of equipment that is not optional for us. That God's Word is not just something for Paul. It's not just something for Timothy. It's something that each one of us need if we're to navigate the life that God has for us. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to look at Paul's final word to Timothy, this final letter that he writes him. And we're going to see that Paul's final word to Timothy is to remind him that this is the final word for his life. And so we're going to look at that by looking at the book of 2 Timothy. So if you've got a Bible, open to 2 Timothy. Open up to 2 Timothy, and we are going to focus most of our time uh, on a central passage in the book of 2 Timothy. That is 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. As we saw earlier with that laundry list of verses, we could focus our attention a lot of places today, but for the sake of time, we're, we're just going to look at this passage and, and maybe one other as we see something about this very valuable, or definitely essential, non-optional piece of gear for the Christian life. He's going to tell us three things about it in 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning in verse 16. This is what he says. He says, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. I said we're going to see three things. The first thing that we're going to see is that Scripture is valuable because it is God-breathed. Scripture is valuable because it is God-breathed. I look at what the, the passage begins by saying. It says, all Scripture is God-breathed. If you've got a New American Standard Bible, it might say all Scripture is inspired. But the, the original word that lies behind that in the original Greek is the word theonoustos, which literally means God-breathed. In other words, God's Word, the Scripture... The, the Old Testament, specifically what was in view in Paul's mind, but by application, the New Testament as well, all of the Scripture that we have in the Old and the New Testament is something that was breathed into existence by God. And because God has breathed it into existence, it is inherently valuable. It is valuable because God has deemed it so. This is the expression of God's heart, God's character, God's will, God's direction, God's emotion, all of those things are expressed for us in God's Word. And because it is God-breathed, because it expresses those things, it is valuable inherently in and of itself. You might be hearing this and wondering, what does it mean to say that something is God-breathed? The Bible gives us some insight into that in 2 Peter 1, verses 20 and 21. When this is said, it says, Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. 
For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. In other words, there were human authors. There, there, there was a man named Paul. Uh, there was a man named John. There, there was a man named Daniel. There were human authors who penned these words, but they didn't pen them just out of their own imagination or their own opinions. But they penned them because the Spirit of God was so at work within their hearts, so carrying them along in the Holy Spirit, that when they wrote, the things that they wrote were not their thoughts, but God's thoughts. What flowed from their pen was not their opinions, but it was the authoritative Word of God. And because what we have in the Scripture is God-breathed, because it is the authoritative Word of God, because it is the expression of His heart, His desire, His will, because it is those things, it is inherently in and of itself valuable. And not just some parts of God's Word, but all parts of God's Word, it says. All Scripture is God-breathed. This means that we don't just have our, our pet verses that we like. It means that all of what we see here is God's Word, and all of it is valuable. You know, when it comes to determining the value of God's Word, we determine that value in a lot of different ways, don't we? Uh, if you were to go to Mardell's to go to buy a Bible, we would say that different Bibles are more valuable than the other one. You know, a, a paperback Bible might be only valued at $5. A, a leather Bible might be valued at $50 or $60. But we should never, ever in a thousand years begin to think that the Bible is deemed valuable by what is around it. The value of the Bible is not in how it is bound. The value in the Bible is what's inside of it, because what is inside of it is the very Word of God, that, is, that which was breathed into existence by God Himself. And it says that all Scripture is. You know, when we, we look at our Bible, sometimes we want to determine value in the Word of God uh, in different ways. You know, a number of our English translations of the Bible uh, show various words in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in red print. Those are the words of Jesus, the quotes of Jesus in there. And sometimes we look at that and we must think, well, those must be the valuable words. The valuable words are the red words that Jesus spoke, and the rest of them are just other words. But 2 Timothy 3 tells us that's not the case. All Scripture is valuable. You know, sometimes we want to think that only books of the Bible that have been particularly impacting to us are valuable. Uh, several years ago, I led a group of college students through a study of the book of Genesis. And, and during that study, we got about, it was a 10-week study, something like that. About three weeks into the study, I had a set of people come to me and they said, you know, this, this is not doing it for me. Is, is there another book we could go to? Take me back to Romans. Take me to the book of John. Take me someplace, they didn't say it, but they were thinking it, valuable for my life. You know, we do that, right? Uh, I'm, not, I'm not picking on them, I do the same thing. There's times where I'm like, you know, John seems valuable, Leviticus? I don't know. But you know what, it's not about what I think, and it's not about what the people who were going through the Genesis study thought, and it's not about uh, what we might pull in our, our congregation today. Uh, the fact is that God's Word tells us that all Scripture is valuable because it is God-breathed. What we have in our hands here is the very Word of God. Therefore, we should value it. Let me ask you a question. Do you value God's Word? 
Do you value it? And let me, let me add a, a clarifying statement to that. Do you value God's Word because it's God's Word, or do you value God's Word because it is preached in an interesting way? Do you value God's Word because it is God's Word, or do you value God's Word because you like the way a particular author uses it? Do you value God's Word because it's God's Word, or do you value God's Word because of how it's used? You know, I, I believe in preaching, right? I believe in writing. I believe in the application of God's Word through lots of vessels. But you know what? It's got to still be God's Word. It's not valuable because it's preached a certain way. It's valued because it is the very Word of God. You know, I get a little nervous today. Um, I, as I, I've been running a lot recently, and, and I'll load onto my um, little iPod. I'll, I'll load various sermons, and they'll be from different pastors that I've had contact with in the past or churches that I've, uh, you know, had some kind of, uh, uh, been interested in them in, in one way or another. And so I'll load different sermons on to my iPod. I'll listen to them when I run. Uh, but there's something that, that really alarms me a little bit. Um, and this is not judgment, and I'm not going to mention any names or anything like that. But, but one thing that's alarming to me is that there's an increasing trend to have less of God's Word as a focus of what is taught. Now, I've heard some incredible messages, messages that were interesting, messages that were challenging, but messages that nowhere in the context of that message is God's Word ever read or referred to by chapter and verse. And you know what? It, they, they were not, they were not uh, full of error, but you know what? It makes me nervous when we begin to step away from God's Word, because when we step away from God's Word, we step away from that which is inherently valuable and we move into the land of conjecture and opinion. And, and we fail to equip God's people, all of us, to read this book for ourselves. You know, if we begin to need someone to explain it to us, for us to get anything out of it, then we have become dependent upon a person to tell us what it is. You know, uh, uh, Jim Collins is a uh, business writer and researcher uh, the University of Stanford, and he wrote a book several years ago called Good to Great. Uh, and one of the things that he did in the book was he was trying to determine what made a business great. Uh, one of the things he found in, in his book was that the leaders of organizations that were great tended to be uh, clock builders, not time tellers. That's what, he, that's what he said, clock builders, not time tellers. Now, what he meant by that was that certain charismatic leaders within an organization can be so gifted, so full of personality, so full of insight, that everybody in the company might go to that leader and say, tell me what time it is, tell me what we should do in this situation. And the leader, if they follow that pattern, might provide all of the answers for a period of time. But what happens when that leader is removed? What happens in the second generation of leadership within the company? If the company has done nothing more than ask their leader for the answer every time they wanted to know what time it was, then they were in real trouble in the second generation. He said better for a company to have a culture of clock building where the CEO and the leader, instead of answering the question of what time it was, built a culture that helped people know how to construct a clock so that they could find the time out on their own. Far better for that. And I'm afraid in the church that we might be developing a, some kind of a situation where we've got a bunch of time-telling leaders around the country 
that people are looking to to entertain and to educate. And if those leaders are not at the same time pointing people back into God's Word on their own, then what happens when that leader is removed? See, one of the things that I value so much personally, and I know that Wildwood values so much as a church, is to allow all of us to see what the anchors are for the things that we believe. Go check it out. Because what is most valuable is not what I say, and it's not what Bruce says. What is most valuable is what God says, and it's very clear for us in His Word. You see, Scripture is valuable because it is God-breathed. Do you value the Word of God? Does it hold a place of prominence? When you have an opportunity to just hear it read, to just read it, is, is it enough for you? Or do you, you're like, well, it's okay to read it, but I really wish that I had so-and-so author to write around it. Do you value it just for what it is? Because what it is is the God-breathed truth for our lives. See, one of the things that I wanted us to see today, and I believe Paul wanted Timothy to remember is that Scripture is valuable because it is God-breathed. The second thing I think we need to see, though, is that Scripture is valuable because it equips us to live life. Scripture is valuable because it equips us to live life. Look at what it says in the passage. It says, All Scripture is God-breathed. It is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good word. Why did God give us the Scripture? Why did God breathe into existence His Word? Why did He do that? Did He do it because religions need books? Because they all have one, right? Every religious tradition has a book of some kind. Did God breathe into existence the Old and the New Testament so that we'd have a book like everybody else? Well, that's a bad reason, right? Because there's lots of things that other religions do that God didn't breathe into existence. Other religions had idols. God didn't breathe idols into a part of His plan. So why did God do it? Is it it's not just so that we'd have a book like everybody else. First Timothy, or 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 tells us that God breathed this into existence so that we might be equipped for every good work. Why does God give us His Word? Why does God give us the Scripture? He gives us the Scripture because He wants to equip us for the life that He's called us to. In other words, there's some essential equipment that we need. There's carabiners we need on our belt. There's knowledge that we need. There's direction that we need. And all of that is found in God's Word. So we value God's Word because God breathed it, but we also definitely value God's Word because it equips us for life. We need this. And in what ways do we need it? What are the, what are the different uh, ways that we need uh, God's Word. What are the different things that we need it for? Uh, he, t- he tells us what we need it for. This is all Scripture is God-breathed, and it's useful for teaching. Uh, the idea and the force behind this idea that we need it for teaching is that we need it for an understanding of sound doctrine. We need it for an understanding of who God is. It's not good enough for us merely to, to pool our ignorance and decide what God is really like. But there is a sense where we need some right doctrine. There's a sense where we need some truth and understanding about how the universe is created and the the nature of our God. There's there's gaps that need to be filled in. And so Scripture is given to us 
to equip us for life by helping to teach us about who God is. Uh, he goes on. It's, it's also helpful for us. It gears us up by rebuking us. You know, there's, there's things that we do in our lives. There's things that we do in our lives that aren't right. There are things that we do that need to be rebuked. There's things that we do that we need to be told that is not the path to go down. Sometimes we know it and we ignore it, and other times we're just oblivious to it. But there are things that we need to be rebuked on, and God's Word provides that for us. It, it equips us for life by helping to show us the things that we shouldn't do. Uh, furthermore, it helps to not just rebuke, but also to correct. In other words, God's Word doesn't just show us the things that we shouldn't do. God's Word shows us the things that we should do. It corrects us and points us down the right path. There are blind spots that we have that we need to be shown the direction where we need to go. There are areas where habits need to be changed and we need to be directed by God's Word. We need to be corrected at times in the right paths. Furthermore, he says that we need to be trained in righteousness. Trained in righteousness. Not just shown the direction that we should go, but also shown the way in which we can get there. Shown the path, uh, the purpose, the direction, the, the way to get there. Some training in, the, in life. You see, God gave us His Word not just to satisfy our curiosity, but to equip us for the life that He wants us to live. And the way that He equips us is He shows us what's right, what's wrong, how to get there, and what our God is really like. See, that's why God gave us His Word, and that's why we value it. You know, I think it's, it's similar to school. It's similar to school. You know, when you went to school, and, and if you're a parent now, when you send your children to school, uh, why do you do that? Well, you do that to help equip them for life, Right? I mean, there are some things that you want them to know, but other things just kind of serve as background preparation for the bigger issues in life. I mean, some things are, are about the actual education itself. Uh, you know, you want to equip your child in how to balance their checkbook. You want to equip your child in, in how to do simple mathematics. You want to equip them in how to, to read and write and understand things. You want to equip them to be able to process thoughts. All, all of those kinds of things are part of the educational experience, but, but other things of why you send your child to school or why you educate them is so that they know how to wait their turn, so they know how to socialize and relate to others, so they know how influence works, so they're able to respond to authority outside the home. All of those things are reasons why you educate your kids. It's not just so that they have some place to go between 8 and 4. It's with a purpose in mind to help equip them for the life that lies ahead of them. And you know what? The same is true with God and us. God gives us His Word not just to occupy our time, but to equip us for something. You know, when, when, you, when you look at God's Word, when you think about God's Word, do you value it because it has something for you? It has direction and rebuke and correction in teaching and training in righteousness? Are you going to God's Word valuing it because you know that it's going to provide direction and insight that you need? Or do you go to God's Word merely to just occupy some time? 
See, God's Word is far more than just another book on your shelf. It's far more than just something to occupy our time. It's something that is intended to equip us for life. And yet a lot of times, our relationship with God's Word is somewhat at a distance. You know, last night I officiated a wedding out at uh, uh, Thunderbird Chapel out here on the, on the west side of town. And, and that, that wedding was at 7.30 p.m. Some quick math will tell you that's 30 minutes after kickoff. So I, I was officiating this wedding, um, and I was happy to do it. I, I'm no tongue-in-cheek, happy to do it. Uh, I, I, was, I was officiating a wedding out at Thunderbird Chapel. When the wedding is over and I left the reception, um, I decided that I wanted to drive by and get as close to campus as I could get. Um, it added a significant length to my trip, but, but it was okay by me. And, and even though it was 30 degrees outside, all four windows are down in the car just to maybe catch a glimpse of the fireworks. There were a lot of them. Or, or to hear a roar from the crowd. I just wanted to be around it in one way or another. And so I drove back and navigated that way. Um, and you know, many times our infatuation with Scripture is somewhat similar. We have other things going on in our lives, but we just want to be close enough to experience it a little bit. Maybe we'll hear it read on Sunday. We'll drive by a Bible study and hear people talking about how it's impacting their lives. We'll, whatever it is. But you know what the reality is, and what I think 2 Timothy 3 tells us, is that God doesn't want us to just get near His Word God wants His Word as the playbook in our huddle. He wants us right in the huddle with Him, with this call in our place. Because it's essential for us to know the direction that God has for our lives. It's not optional. And God wants our relationship with His Word to be like that. So let me ask you, do you allow God's Word to be the playbook for your life? Are you reading it and processing it enough so that you know the directions and the, and the places that God is calling you in your life? If, if you're not, uh, don't beat yourself up. Just know that there's an incredible resource that is available to you that God has given you for the purpose of equipping you for the, for the blind spots and the areas where you will fall in. God wants us to process this word because he has a plan for us. He wants to equip us for life. You know, one thing that you can do uh, to help prepare yourself for this uh, is um, to, every time you read God's word, I mean, wh whatever that is, I mean, just think of the times when you sit down to read God's word. Uh, make a commitment that you're not going to get up from that time of reading God's word without coming to some form of application. Howard Hendricks, a professor of mine at seminary, would say that he never gets up from his time of study without deciding, what does this passage say about me? What does this passage want me to do? There will be times when you'll read a passage that will be about teaching. There will be something that you are to believe. There will be some doctrine, some understanding about who God is that you're to believe. There will be times that you read that and there will be something that you'll be rebuked on. There's something that you're doing that needs to stop. There's times that you read a passage and you'll be see something that you ought to start doing that you're not doing. You need to be corrected in a certain way. There's times that you'll be reading a passage and you'll see there's something in here that is training me for righteousness. There is a pattern or a way or a manner of doing things that God wants me to participate in. See, when we read God's Word and we value it for what it is, it's to equip us for life. And one way that we can begin to apply that in our lives is to 
to come to it expecting that, to not close it until we've gotten to that spot. You want the Word to come alive to you, begin thinking about how it relates to you. What is God trying to show you through this? See, two things that we've seen so far. One is that Scripture is valuable because it is God-breathed. Another is Scripture is valuable because it equips us to live life. But the third thing that we're going to see, we're going to flip to another passage in 2 Timothy. We're going to flip back one page in my Bible. I don't know where it is in yours, but it's chapter 2, verse 15. Chapter 2, verse 15. And that's this point. Since Scripture is valuable, since Scripture is valuable, become a word workman. Since Scripture is valuable, we've seen that it's valuable, but since it's valuable, become a word workman. Uh, 2 Timothy 2.15 says this, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. See, that passage is the theme passage behind our Wednesday night Awana ministry. Awana, if you've always you've ever heard that, like, why did they come up with such a bizarre name? Um, we didn't come it up. It's an acrostic based out of this verse. It's an approved workman are not ashamed. Approved workmen are not ashamed. Is that, is that right, Sally? Did I get it right? Approved workmen are not ashamed. That is the title of this ministry. And what it is is just trying to encourage our children to dig in to God's Word, to memorize it, to process it so that they can apply it for a, life, for a lifetime. And Paul writes to Timothy, and he wants to encourage him to be a word workman. He's going to encourage him to get involved in God's Word because it's so valuable. And there's two kind of key phrases that Paul mentions here uh, in, the, in, the, in the passage that will help us to understand what this means for us. The first one is the phrase workman. What does it mean to be a workman? And, and that phrase workman is, is really a phrase in the original that does not indicate someone's skill, but someone's ability or, or, or interest or desire or follow through to actually work. So it's not that a workman is like a skilled person, it's just a workman is willing to work. Uh, we would use the term if we say, after the service today, uh, we need some workmen to help us stack every chair in this room in that back corner. Doesn't take a lot of special skill, just takes a desire and a willingness to work until the job's done. Speaks to the, the, to the nature of the work, it's hard work. And Paul writes to Timothy and says, your connection with God's Word ought to be one who is willing to work hard with it. The second phrase that he mentions there is this idea of one being approved or correctly handling. Uh, the idea behind that. Uh, the original that is, is used there by Paul was a term that is used frequently of tent makers. And Paul was a tent maker. So I think very intentionally Paul chose this phrase. It was a word that he was familiar with. But a, a tent maker who correctly handled making tents was a tent maker that when he put the shears to the fabric, cut in a straight line. If the tent maker cut in a straight line. That meant that when the tent was erected, that the fabric would go all the way to the ground all around the tent. It was a good cut. He correctly handled the shears. It was also used in uh, buildings. Uh, so, you know, somebody would go and lay stone in a building, and if they would lay that stone in a straight line so the building was constructed well, they were said to correctly handle the stone and the mortar. A farmer 
who planted his seed in a straight row was said to correctly handle the seed. He was able to accurately put that out in a straight line so that the maximum amount of crop could be planted in a field. So these two phrases that Paul uses is that we're to be a workman, somebody who works hard at it, and we're to be accurately handling this. We're to be the one who deals with it correctly. And when you put those two concepts together, when it comes to God's Word, I think what Paul was saying was, work really hard to understand what this really says. Work really hard to understand what this really says. That was an important thing for Timothy. And you know, it's possible for us to read that and to to hear that Timothy was to work really hard to understand what this really says and to think that that's only for uh, pastors. Because Timothy was a spiritual leader. Timothy was one who was helping to minister within a local church. He was uh, a pastor. He was going to carry on this ministry that, that Paul had for him. And so because of that, we might want to say, well, well, that command to work hard to understand what this really says is something that only ap- applies to pastors. Um, and it's possible to say that. But I, w- I want to bring up before all of us that if that is God's desire, if it's God's desire that we work hard to understand His Word in an accurate way, then shouldn't that have some representation in the lives of all of us as Christians? Shouldn't we all seek to work hard to accurately understand what this says? And so the next question, obviously, is, well, what does it mean to work hard at it? And, and you know, depending on your personality type, you might be going, oh, man, I'm going to fail at this because I don't have seven days a week, 24 hours a day, to read God's Word. It's the same thing that happens to you when somebody preaches a message or you read the passage that says, pray without ceasing. You're like, pray without ceasing. I just asked the question, should I be praying without ceasing? And I wasn't praying about it, therefore I've already blown it, so I'm not going to pray at all. It's possible that when we, we read this, that we're to work hard at it, that we think, I have a hard time working a little bit at it, therefore I'm going to punt the whole equation. But I don't think that's the idea. I don't think that's what God would have for us. Uh, The idea in pray without ceasing is not that we would be so defeated that we would never open our mouth in prayer. The idea is that we should have an ongoing conversation with God that doesn't just know certain bounds and times during the day. And the idea that we should be a workman who diligently works to understand accurately the Word of God is not an idea that is wrapped around this, this notion of putting us, enslaving us, to some sort of man-made system where we have to memorize every verse. I think the reality is that the application for all of us should be that we should put some effort into reading God's Word. We should put some effort into it. That's going to look differently for different people at different seasons of life. For some of you, it might mean dropping a CD in the CD player in your car and listening for 15 minutes on your drive to work. Uh, You choose to invest that time that way, and when you get out of your car and you turn off the ignition, from that time that you get out of the car until you get to the door, you ask yourself the question, what am I going to do with this? What does God, how does God want me to respond? Is there something I'm to believe, something I'm to stop doing, start doing? Is there a path that I'm to follow? That's, That's working at it. That's setting a plan to accurately understand God's God's Word. It might be that. Others of you have very complicated wives. You know, my lives. My, sorry, sorry. 
Let's close in prayer. <laughs> I'm telling the story about my wife, but it was, I, I got ahead of myself. So anyway, this is what I'm saying. <clears throat> Some of you have complicated lives. L-I-V-E-S. Complicated lives. Um, and, and my wife is one of those who has a complicated life. You know, um, I want you to hear that. Larry, make sure that's on tape. Um, but here, here's, here's, here's what I mean by that. Uh, my son, 20 months old, has no snooze bar. He just doesn't. You know, if, if before we had kids, you wake up and you're tired, you get that extra 10 minutes of glory, right? Uh, once you have kids, when, when Josh wakes up, it's game on, right? And it's game on all day long. So time is limited. So maybe your life is like that. Maybe you just have 15 minutes or 10 minutes in the morning eating your Cheerios before the alarm goes off from the cry from the other room. Uh, what are you going to do with that 10 minutes? Is it possible to, to, to read some of God's Word, to process it a little bit there? Uh, what's your plan to get into God's Word on your own? Not just to hear it from some time teller, but to read God's Word, to build a system of clock building in your life. What, what, what is that plan for you? It might be CDs in the car. You know, another possibility, if you're looking for uh, something, is be to, to join one of the many Bible studies that are at Wildwood. On Sunday morning, we have uh, different adult fellowship groups that meet within our building. There's home small groups that meet during the week. There's women's Bible studies that will be kicking back off in the spring. All those are opportunities to get involved with others reading God's Word and processing it together. Uh, another possibility is to get some resources to help you in that way. Uh, you know, my, my, myself and some others have written some Bible studies to be used by people at Wildwood and others, and, and uh, we have a number of them out on tables in our bookstore out in the gathering hall after the service today. And uh, if you're looking for a tool to help guide you, it's six days a week, guided study in God's Word. If you're looking for something like that, uh, maybe you could stop by and pick one of those up. We're, we're charging $5 for those, um, but if, if you don't have $5 and you would prefer not to have it bound, they're available for free in a PDF form on our website. Go to wildwoodchurch.org, resources, and then Wildwood Bible Studies. You can find all that information there for free. But, but that's just another tool that's available to you to help you to accurately cut the truth, to, to get in, to read it, to put some effort into your understanding of God's Word. Because whether you have, you know, complex wives or complex lives, uh, we need some direction, right? We need some help. We need some purpose from God. Uh, and we need to be looking into His Word together. You know, I want to end this morning by asking a very appropriate question, I think. Uh, it's the question that uh, I said, you know, we should not open the Word of God without closing it, without asking what's in it for us. I want to just ask you, what, how does God want you to respond today? All Scripture is God-breathed and is profitable for our lives to equip us for the things that He has for us. We're to be a word workman. How, how does God want you to respond? I'm not going to stand here and tell you exactly what that is. How does God want you to respond to His truth? How does He want you to apply it? Maybe it's to continue something that you're doing, or maybe it's to start something new. But whatever it is, how does God want you to apply His truth today?
While you're thinking about that, let me close this in prayer. Father, we thank you for this time that you've given us today. We thank you for just the joy of knowing you. And we thank you for the privilege of holding in our hands truth that you have breathed into existence. Father, I pray that we would be people who would take advantage of the value that you have offered us and that we would be workmen of your word. Father, thank you for all that you do for us. And I pray that you would give us the faith to believe the things that you say are true. We pray these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.